Hey, everybody. How's it going? I am your host, Felipe Melicio, and you're listening and watching the Total Basis podcast right here live on the best baseball group ever, Baseball Life, here on Facebook. And with me, as always, is my partner, Sean Flannery. Sean, how are you doing this morning? I am awesome. I just finished writing my first, like, legitimate sports baseball article that should be releasing either tonight or tomorrow morning. So I will be sure to post that in baseball life and on Twitter and for the whole world to see, it's going to be an interesting read and I can't wait to see what people think. That's amazing. Um, I remember the first time I did my first uh, big boy article, (laughs) I I, I was doing a blog on my personal blog. And then I was lucky that someone liked what I wrote mostly because of my baseball stuff so naturally when they hired me to do baseball stuff i went ahead and said you know what i want to cover the nba draft so that was my first endeavor into uh, sports writing and it's a pretty exciting time i'm very proud of you i i didn't actually i didn't know you can actually write <laughs> we'll see i'm from uh, alabama i i i'd use k's instead of c's you know that, that's what i mean and, and you, <laughs> you use apostrophes for everything y'all drawl but no, no, no. This, this is a good. This is a good opportunity for you, man. I got, and uh, look, are you able to tease anything at all it's, of this article? It's going to be possibly the start of a series, uh, focusing right now on free agents. Uh, let's just say this is the premier free agent on the market, and uh, it might have been. We've seen this story before, but nobody's going to realize that we've seen it before. So. <laughs> Hopefully, shining a light on something that people haven't realized yet. And did you mention the website already? Uh, it's uh, uh, Mets Junkies. Uh, just uh, being the Mets fan I am, I figure that's probably going to be the the best niche to start off in. But this article isn't just for Mets fans. This is for baseball fans. I'm I'm always going to be a baseball fan first. And if I can actually, you know, bring some knowledge into the Mets fan base, uh, I'd love to do it. Steve Cohen thinks we're smart. I don't think we're that smart, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> Steve Cohen said I was smart. <laughs> well, speaking of being smart, uh, we totally dropped the ball here. The whole point was to kick off and launch the Major League Baseball winter meetings, and apparently they've been canceled uh, for obvious reasons, right? But I, I, this whole time, I was under the impression that they were still going. But now I'm seeing article after article saying that they've been canceled. Okay. But then I see article after article saying that they're still going. So I don't know what to believe anymore. CBS has an article from one hour ago, 12 questions about virtual version of hot stoves. Most notable week. It is, it is on, it is a go. All right. So it's not, so maybe it's, it's not a go in person. Cause I, like I said, as, as, as of last night, I heard that they were going to still do something in Nashville. And I'm like, wait, I thought, but I thought COVID and, and things, but, <laughs> But let's just say that uh, this is the time of year where supposedly these transactions occur uh, hot and heavy, hot stove, fast and furious. And so we'll, we'll just go with it. We'll just talk about what happens during this time of year, traditionally speaking, and how these teams will have to adjust because of the world that we live in at the moment. So, Sean, uh, what do you have to say about the winter meetings that may or may not be happening live or virtually or notwithstanding go ahead i I just want to figure out how scott boris is going to finagle himself in front of the camera because this is usually his time to shine every year you know he gets out in front of all the press conferences and he talks about which teams are shopping in which aisle and you know 
always ragging on this team or ragging on that team. I, I, I want to see how Scott Boris uh, greases the palms when I, – I, is there a, a, a grease palm option in Zoom I haven't found yet? I mean – Well, I, I do have something for you. Let oh me see God. what the hell that is. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> what do you know? <laughs> uh, for those who can't see, Scott, uh, this is an LA Times article titled Scott Boris is the line in Major League Baseball's winter meetings. But this year, his roar is virtual. And of course, there's a picture of Scott Boris in front of all these cameras, a sea of cameras. I mean, he looks like a beluga whale, you know, being filmed by National Geographic there. Um, but yeah, there it is. And it's as of December 4th. Now, this is obviously from 2013. But yeah. Yeah, I think so, the best part of this was I, we, we didn't have any of this planned right here. I just started talking about Scott Boris and Felipe already had it pulled up. What do, yeah. what do we know? If I could, I would put this to be the uh, group photo in baseball life, but th this is too big. So. But yeah, this is, a, this is a thing to watch. Scott Boris and in, in just in his element, like a lion. I mean, they said lion, right? He's the lion of Major League Baseball winter meetings. He looks like a lion being filmed by National Geographic here. So there you go. <laughs> So he'll find a way. I mean, I don't think he's that backwards where he can't adjust to having on, being on camera like like we are on camera right now. So he'll be fine. But uh, other than that, I mean, I, I know that the winter meetings are more than just uh, transaction based. Is there anything else going on besides the possible transactions and all that? Uh, the Rule 5 draft, I believe, is supposed to be on Thursday, the 10th. Okay. So uh, for everyone out there who has heard of the Rule 5 draft but doesn't really know what it is, for players that were drafted under the age of 18, you essentially have like six, I think, I believe six years of control in the minor leagues uh, before you have to be put on the 40-man roster. And if you're not put on the 40-man roster by the end of those six years, you become exposed to what is called the Rule 5 draft, meaning any other team can select you. They pay a small fee, like $50,000, and you have to stick on the active roster all year. And if you do, they become permanent you know, uh, players in that new organization. But at any time, if they – as long as they're not injured, that's the only time they can come off the active roster is if they're injured. They can't be demoted. Um some notable recent Rule Fives, you know, Johan Santana, Dan Ugla, all guys that were pretty big Rule Five. Um, if a player is signed after the age of 18, they only have four years in the minors before they get exposed to it. There aren't too many big names. I, I believe one name for people to keep a lookout is going to be Thomas Burroughs. He's a left-handed reliever from the Atlanta Brave system, which I'm kind of shocked that Atlanta didn't protect him. Uh, but other than that, there's not really too many names out there. It's not a, a hot, you know, rule five draft this year. Every now and then you'll get a prospect that gets exposed that you have absolutely no reason why they weren't protected. But as we all know, uh, Jeff McNeil was exposed to the rule five draft two times and wow. ne yeah. never selected. And now all-star second baseman, probably going to be a batting title contender for the next five years. So you never know. <laughs> so the other thing uh, that, usually goes on our rule changes uh, do you see any rumors as to what rules especially when what we talked about before we we went live was what about the dh situation will it finally make its way to the national league or are we still going back to the uh split rules that the al and the national league have with each other 
to me, it makes no sense why they wouldn't have it. Uh, I always theorized even before COVID that once it comes to the National League for any sort of reason, if there was a strike or a short season, something like that, that once it came to the NL, it would stay in the NL. And now it came it, it before the commissioner, you know, unilaterally imposed a season last year. That was one of the few things that the Players Association and the owners actually agreed on, like way in the beginning of their negotiations was DH in the National League. Yeah. Now, the only reason I could see it not is if the owners try and play hardball, because uh, really, in the end, this is just a negotiation pawn. Oh, we'll give you the DH, but you got to give us this. And I don't see the Scrooges who are already complaining about being poor uh, out of the goodness of their heart, giving players the DH, um, even if it would benefit their own teams. <laughs> It's ridiculous. I mean, but I mean, we saw a bunch of players get non-tender, which is another thing we're going to cover today uh, that did not get tendered this uh, fall, winter, whatever you call it, Thanksgiving holiday season is because of the uncertainty of the designated hitter, aside from the financials uh, ramifications that these teams don't want to deal with. But yeah, it would a lot of these players that got cut recently um, and became free agents uh, not too long ago this week is because of lack of defense. And if you're not going to be, if you're going to be hurting these teams uh, defensively and if the national league is not going to have, and I'm mainly, you guys probably know that I'm thinking about Kyle Schwarber here, but if, yeah, there's not going to be any designated hitter, then it's pointless to keep him around or keep a player like Kyle Schwarber in a, on a national league team. So, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting. I hope that they come to their senses and bring it back for next season. But like you said, knowing that these owners are, becoming Scrooges right around the holidays. I, I could see them saying, nah, forget it. We're just going to stick with the rules and uh, we'll, uh, we'll see you guys at the negotiating table, which will then set up a very awful, strenuous uh, collective bargaining agreement session in the next uh, few months or so. So not yeah. looking forward to that. That's, that's going to be loads of fun, right? Oh man. Are we going to cover that? Or we're we just going <laughs> to Stick our heads in the sand. <laughs> yeah, oh, heads in the sand. Fantasy. Everything is fine. Everything's fine. I'm getting ready for fantasy <laughs> baseball. The, the bus on fire. Everything is fine. Everything is I'm fine. In, I, I'm in danger. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So rule five, rule changes. Um, maybe some trades. Uh, hopefully something. Give us a bone because we're bored here. But, you know, you would traditionally speaking, this is the time of year where you, we see a lot of big deals and there's a lot of big players big name players who are on the trade market, like players like Chris Bryant and uh, Francisco Lindor, Nelson, I'm sorry, Nolan Arenado. And we just found out Zach Wheeler uh, because Jacob sent us the link is also in the market. So uh, do you bring him home, Steve, bring him (laughs) home. No, the White Sox want to get him because they failed to get him a couple years ago, but do you foresee any big trades happening uh, this week? I don't know. I could see one. It's a name not many people have mentioned, and it was because he had a bit of an uneasy 2020 season, uh, and that's Joey Gallo. And yeah. the, the, the big Texas Ranger target uh, that I have keep hearing in trade talks is Lance Lynn because uh, every team needs pitching. But Joey Gallo could be the guy. I'm not sure if uh, – Tampa would be interested. I think Joey Gallo is actually supposed to make too much money. So Tampa's probably not interested unless they can offload like Kevin Kiermaier. 
But uh, I would wouldn't be surprised if you know somebody kind of sneaks in a, a Zach or a, a oh my god Joey Gallo trade. Um, but of the other guys that you mentioned, Lindor, Arenado, Bryant, uh, even Blake Snell and Josh Hader, uh, which one of those do you think is most likely to be traded? So and why? Kind of well, you kind of broke up. Which were the players again? Uh, the ones that you mentioned, Lindor, Arenado, Bryant, and even to a degree, Snell and Hader. I, well, yeah, because I was uh, the reason I'm kind of like, in my mind, when you mentioned Lance Lynn and Joey Gallo, I'm thinking, hey, the White Sox? And <laughs> I, I know someone told me, I think Bush, Matt Bushnell of the Audible might have told me that, that the White Sox might be interested in getting Lance Lynn. Uh, if that's the case, White Sox also need a right fielder. Wait, 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 wait. We almost forgot it. We didn't talk about it before we went live. The White Sox need a right fielder. Why did they need a right fielder? I thought they had a right fielder. They don't. Even when they had a right fielder, they didn't really have a right wait, fielder. But wait, that... who who's their, their right fielder? Um, uh, supposed to be, that other supposed, guy from Texas Rangers? It was supposed to be Nomar Mazzara, and he failed miserably. And now he got non-tendered along with Carlos Rodan, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But um, – yeah. Now, now Felipe has failed miserably because he doesn't have the bobblehead. Yeah. Well, I'm in a separate room, so sorry about that. But um, what was I talking about? Oh, oh, or the baseball. I, oh, I think the baseball moved up to the bedroom too. So unless they were stolen. Oh, me. does it have a Joey Gallo sig on it? Yeah. I remember. Uh, oh, I, nice. I showed, oh, yeah. Steven from Steven. Way. Yep. Yeah. He showed it off. And Shout out to Steven. And then yesterday, my uh, or a couple of days ago, my baby got to wear the Joey Gallo uh, onesie that Stephen gave her. <laughs> so it's been uh, we're big Joey. Gall- hey, bring him home. I mean, you already have a couple of Joey Gallo fans in this in, in, in Chicago here, so bring him home. But yeah, you bring in Lance Lynn, and, and now the White Sox look dangerous, and they uh, plug up two holes, and uh, one in the rotation and one in the in the outfield, and suddenly you have a Gallo, Luis Robert, and uh, Eloy Jimenez outfield. But still, it's it would be. What do you call it? Luis Robert still manning left field and center field, but at least Joey Gallo can hold his own in right field, uh, the corner yeah. outfield, I should say. And uh, yeah, he provides the left-handed bat that Nomar Mazar did not was not able to provide. So, so from a selfish standpoint, I do hope that we somehow the White Sox get Lance Lynn and Joey Gallo. They definitely have the prospects for it. Uh, the, if you're in win now mode, the Indians and the Twins look weak uh, coming into 2021. So now's the time to attack, attack, attack. Other than that, Lindor has to be moved because Cleveland, like I mentioned, in order for the White Sox to win this division outright, uh, Cleveland has to give up Lindor, which it sounds like they've been trying for a while now, and this has to be like the last-ditch effort for them to do so. So there you where, go. Where do you think Lindor would go? Uh, the Mets? I don't know. I honestly – I'm really bad at this. <laughs> Yankees. Uh, but they got Glebar Torres, though, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> little man, little ballpark. Uh, but no, we, we keep mentioning uh, central teams so far. You know, you mentioned Kyle Schwarber got non-tendered, uh, Nomar yeah. Mazzara. Uh, this was something that when all the non-tendering stuff was happening, and I messaged you after I saw the article, but I didn't realize as it developed how many teams in the central, both NL and AL, non-tendered <laughs> players. And there were... Uh, 59 players that were non-tendered, yeah. 29 of them came from the two central divisions, mm. including of the uh, eight that were projected to make 4 million or more, six of them came from the NL and AL central. 
including several of the guys I just mentioned, uh, Eddie Rosario, no more Mazzara, Kyle Schwarber, Archie Bradley, and Carlos Rodon. So in Jason Stark did a really good job on the athletic of kind of breaking it down into why this could have been this way. And, you know, each team had separate reasonings, but just how the money flow is different in the Midwest. And, you know, of all those central teams, only one of them you would probably describe as a large market team. And that'd be the Cubs, even though they play in the same city as the White Sox, the the Cubs have always been the big players there. And, um, it was something I, he mentioned in the article. I didn't realize that there was no revenue sharing this year. Apparently that was something they agreed to very early on. And maybe that's why I still don't believe the Rays are trying to trade Blake Snell, but maybe that is a reason why, because a team like the Rays who is so dependent on revenue sharing uh, doesn't get it. So I, I thought it was a really interesting article. If you have the athletic, which you should end of story, uh, go check it out. It's by Jason Stark and was really fun to read. That is fascinating. I mean, I mean, this is, this is Rust Belt country right here, right? This is the Rust Belt. This is uh, some of the cities that are in this region have been hit hardest in the last 20, 25 years by economic reasonings. Uh, we went from a manufacturing hub to having to squirm and scurry and, and, and hurry to adapt, like Pittsburgh is a good example. They went from being a steel town to uh, a, a medical center, like one of the best in the country, apparently. But what about Cleveland? What about uh, Cleveland, who has seen a population decrease in their city? Cincinnati, who is basically North Kentucky at this point, and uh, Detroit, who uh, is just now getting back to being the, the motor city. But man, have you ever have you ever seen videos of Detroit? It's not the same city that it was once uh, was. Uh, it's basically downtown Detroit and then everything else and all the rich people move to the suburbs. So it's hey, some geopolitical and uh, talk about and, and region talk about for you guys. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it makes sense that the central teams with all the Rust Belt towns would be the ones who would be af- negatively affected by no revenue sharing this year. Yeah. So I'm not and, even, and, and they have smaller TV. De- I mean, because these teams are making their money on the TV deals. And of course, the smaller teams have smaller TV deals. So that's a whole other bag of worms. And uh, I, I remember he quoted some uh, national league central exec about talking about, Oh, um, everyone's saying we're, we're, we don't care what happens in 2021, 2021 is going to be a wash just like 2020. We're looking forward to 2022 and hopefully all things are normal. And it's like, they're literally kicking the can down the road, hope, yeah. hoping. And it, it's, it seems like a, not very smart way to try and win but granted uh as andy martino said that's not what teams are trying to do now uh that winning is not a reasonable expectation winning a world series was not a reasonable expectation and thank god andy martino got slivered alive on social media from several players Uh, and then steve cohen the new mets owner even added them saying uh why would we want somebody who doesn't want to (laughs) win It's like, ouch. Andy, just letting you know that if Steve Cohen ever buys SNY, you're in trouble. (laughs) Uh, Well, speaking of, I guess I'd be remiss uh, locally since we talked about the White Sox and the Cubs and all these central teams and broadcasting and uh, and all this and all that. uh, The big shocker locally was that Len Casper, who has been doing Cubs games uh, on television, 
uh, for, like you mentioned, probably the, the big team in the region, the Chicago Cubs for the last decade and a half has decided that he wants to, uh, let's face it, take a step down, so to speak, and go with the rival, the, the pseudo rival, I should say, the White Sox down on the south side and go from television down to radio. And it just, to me, it seems like it's a downgrade, but then you start hearing the reasons why he wants to do it. And it's number one, he's always wanted to do radio. He believes, he loves radio, which I don't blame him. I love radio too. I just don't, you know, I, it's just not this, it, it's, it's, uh, it's a podcast world, right? It, it's what it's, it's becoming, especially for me. So hell, I do have a podcast. <laughs> I listen to a lot of podcasts. I don't listen to the radio as much as I used to. And number two, um, he wants to call a World Series. And the only way you can do that is if you are Joe, uh, Jack Buck or Joe Buck. If you're a Buck, you're, you're going to do a World Series because nepotism. <laughs> but if you are doing the radio play-by-play for your team, then you have first words on that World Series broadcast as the regular play-by-play because uh, it doesn't get regionalized on radio as it does with uh, television. So, and then of course the Cubs doing the Cubs, what they're doing this year. And that's basically throwing away this upcoming season, maybe the next two seasons, because uh, all of a sudden Tom Ricketts going from owner who's willing to spend a lot of money to not willing to spend a lot of money. Uh, then you go to the White Sox whose future looks actually bright. And maybe Casper's thinking, well, that's going to be the next team that's going to make it to the world series at this point. If all goes according to plan, which we know better. He had the total basis podcast and nothing, nothing is linear. So, but you, you do increase your chances by going to the White Sox and, and broadcasting the radio games, as opposed to sticking around with the Cubs and possibly going through another rebuild that may or may not work at all. So, so yeah, so it makes sense. Uh, so Godspeed to him. I'm going to miss him, but it makes sense. Uh, Ed Farmer did die. Who was the uh, regular play-by-play for the radio uh, for the White Sox. So Ed Farmer passed away and that left an opening spot for someone to take that position. And Len Casper says, sure, I'll take it. I want to call a world series. So there, hopefully his wish comes true. So there did, you go. Did he uh, actually say the words, I, I, I want to call a world series. And that's why he was leaving. That's what I, at, at glance, I think that was, that was, or is that just what it's being reported? I was thinking if he actually said that, that's kind of savage that, Oh, the Cubs aren't going to win anytime soon. Let me go over to the white Sox. Yeah, I mean, if, they mentioned that, and I, every podcast I heard, it, it, we're, we're perplexed, but the more you read up on it, I think from what I remember this week, and I'll, I'll look it up as well, uh, is that, yeah, number one, he did want, he wants to do the World Series. He does love radio, but most importantly for him, um, he's, he's at, what, 50 years old? And for the first time in his professional career, he gets a say as to where he wants to go and wants to do in his life, right? Hey, he's a free agent, too. He's a free agent. <laughs> it's going to be the so, White Sox biggest signing of the offseason. You still with me, Felipe? Okay. It sounds like we might have lost Felipe there for just a minute. But uh, as we wait to try and get him back. Okay. Can you hear me? Uh, yes, we hear you. Sorry about that. Uh, I, something happened. But. Um, <laughs> But getting back to it, he's 50 years old. He's a free agent too. He gets to say what he wants. And and, uh, and and apparently I was listening to the Rates and Barrels podcast and apparently he's not really an employee of the Cubs. He's more of an employee of the, of the marquee network or the regional network that broadcasts these games. And 
when it was all said and done, it wasn't an issue with the Cubs. It's more of an issue with the network. And hmm. and again, he has a say. He's been doing this for a long time now. He's 50 years old. And the best part about it is he gets to stay in the city. So instead of going, you know, up, uprooting his family and move to another town, he gets to stay in Chicago and go down to the south side and do radio, which apparently is something that he always wanted to do, and have and increase his chances of calling a World Series. So there's that. So, well, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's a savage move. I don't think it's a troll move. I think it's a professional move that not many of us have a say in in this lifetime. So good for him. Um, and uh, that's all there was to it. Uh, the only other thing I see here is there's possibly going to be, this might be the last winter meetings ever. Where did you see that? Uh, on the same CVS uh, uh, sports article that you showed me earlier. Will oh. this mark the end of the winter meetings as we know it? That seems quite possible. Even before 2020, some argue that the winter meetings were anachronistic. And if the virtual edition goes off without a hitch and doesn't negatively affect the course of the remainder of the offseason, then it can be plausibly argued that we don't need this stuff anymore. With Major League Baseball increasingly prioritizing cost-cutting, the winter meetings could become another casualty of that approach call it a strong maybe so strong maybe this might be the last winter meetings but let's face it sean the last couple of meetings have been up and down you know what i mean they've been um they've been pretty uh hit or miss either some big things happen or teams decide like no we're not going to do anything this this winter meetings so we're just going to call the tight to the chest and wait till january to do something so i don't know what do you think about this possibly being the last winter meeting ever I feel like the most hilarious part of that entire little, you know, sentence was if it goes off without a hitch, when was the last time MLB did something that went off without a hitch? Especially (laughs) when you get a bunch of old white men on zoom for probably the first time, or actually they, they use zoom a lot during the season. I'm sorry, but I'm expecting at least five hot mics and one person who didn't know their camera was on and does something stupid. Yeah. That's what we look forward to. Right. (laughs) In the new day and age of uh, zoom hot mics and uh, being caught on camera, doing stuff you're not supposed to do. And who's going to be recording these things. Like, you know, there's going to be some front office who decides I'm going to hit the record button and see what happens. And then, you know, that stuff is going to leak somewhere because people can't help themselves. And yeah, extortion and blackmail will pursue and live and be the rule of the day. So maybe this might not be a bad thing after all, Sean. And then they're going to pull up their Zoom chat and they're going to think that they're private messaging the, the GM for this team and it's actually going to be to everyone. I <laughs> uh, can't wait for it. Or, or, or they do the – yeah, exactly. That, oh, my God, that'd be crazy. You're like, oops, <laughs> that, was meant for, uh, that was meant for Billy. <laughs> so. So yeah, so it's a brave new world. It's a new decade. So obviously, we, we this this is par for the course, right? Not everything stays the same, Pony Boy. So that's that regarding that. Anything else about the winter meetings before we move, on, move, move we move on to the next thing here, Sean? Uh, no, I just as um, we sl- or you know mentioned it slightly uh, as we talked about the winter meetings, but the non tenders uh, deadline came and went, and it was uh, quite busy with a few expected non-tenders and then a few that you know shock some people including the the schwerber one uh what being you know a a part-time cubs fan uh what was your thoughts on the non-tendering of kyle schwerber 
Well, it's not just Kyle Schwarber, but it was like Albert was Almora also, too. Albert Almora. So that means that's two failed first round picks that are no longer with your team. As a Mets yeah. fan, I, I want to know about that. We nail all our first round picks. Yeah, oh, I mean, and then we—I mean, we also talked about this past week about the White Sox. Their their failure to develop any of their first round picks, and Carlos Rodon also got lost uh, to the non tender casualty here. So, it, lots of this is a very—it's—it's uh, it's kind of bittersweet for me because I. The problem here is that Theo Epstein, for as much as he was very analytical about certain things, he was also very. Um, he got attached to these players and the big one that people keep talking about is, well, he could have just traded away Kyle Schrober uh, instead of Glebar Torres in the uh, Aroldis Chapman deal. And in retrospect, that probably should have been the move to make, but let's face it. Epstein got attached to Kyle Schrober. He loved the intangibles that he brought and rightfully so. I mean, well, not rightfully so, but I mean, in terms of like, I could, you, you could see why, Epstein was enamored with Schwarber in that oh, regard. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, this is a kid who got hurt with a knee injury playing outfield, a position that he's never played before, a converted catcher who worked his ass off to lose weight, to get back in and rehab uh, a surgery that usually takes more than a year. He got back in time to play the World Series for the for the Cubs in 2016, and, uh, and he had a powerful left-handed bat to boot. Yep. And a powerful right arm in the outfield, too. So whatever balls that he can get to, uh, once it, it was put in his right arm, it, it, you best think twice before you run on the guy because he's a converted catcher. So, but that, that, that one kind of stings a little bit because we thought he, I mean, I thought personally that he was going to be around, especially if there is going to be a designated hitter in the National League, then it makes sense to keep him around. But, you know, obviously the Cubs thought differently. It's a brand new decade. Not not everything stays the same, Pony Boys. So <laughs> that's the theme, right, Sean? It's the theme for this uh, this show. Nothing stays the same. Brand new decade. Things are going to be ever changing. So uh, so good luck to Kyle Schwarber. Uh, like I said, the Cubs' uh, big thing under Epstein was a all our first round picks were hitting. Literally, I mean, because they were mo- they were mostly hitters. They, Epstein has a thing against pitchers, maybe. <laughs> And now you just saw two of your former first round picks go away. Yeah, so it's tough. It's tough. And then on the south side with Carlos Rodon, that's that's another one that they just couldn't. I mean, that's what happened. Is what Rick Khan, in order to get this rebuild off successfully, he had to trade a lot of established veterans for high level prospects on other teams, which means that he wasn't doing a good job of developing his first round picks or, or making first round pick selections because Carlos Rodon was a former first round pick and now he's gone. Why is he gone? Well, he became expendable because the White Sox went out and got a bunch of uh, top level prospects from other teams. So, especially on the pitching side. So it makes sense that Rodon becomes expendable. Now they, now there's an open spot for Michael Kopex of the world or for give, give Ronaldo Lopez another chance or maybe get, bring in Zach Wheeler. And bring him home to his. To no, his no, that's not home. That's not home. Well, no. I mean, it could have been. It could have been. <laughs> that was, White Sox were definitely interested. And, yes, they were. They offered yeah. more money. Yep. So there you go. So, but that one sticks a little bit too. But I mean, Rodan was constantly injured, and and there's people saying that maybe he was brought up too too uh, soon. But there's a reason why Rodan was drafted where he was drafted, and he was deemed the most ready pitching prospect of his draft class at that time. 
So, and, and what when I saw and messaged you that he had been non-tendered, who is it that I compared him to after the shoulder injury? Um, I don't remember. Sean Manaya. I said oh, maybe she- maybe Carlos Redondo is just Sean Manaya in a black and white jersey. Oh yeah, and I did not. Oh, I remember now. I did not like that comparison at all. <laughs> if, if he's Sean Manaya, then yeah, then maybe it's right that he doesn't come back. But uh, I mean, there's still upside there. And that's the thing about these players is there's still upside. I mean, Rodan's 28 years old, but he's relatively fresh despite the injuries. He's kind of fresh. There's not a lot of mileage on his arm and there's still intrigue. He still has a nice fastball and correct me if I'm wrong, but nice fastball slider combination that I'm sure yeah. 29 other teams are kind of curious to see what they have. Maybe the Cubs would be considered consider, uh, Carlos Rodan. Uh, yeah, well, you we'll give away Len Casper, but we'll take away Carlos Rodon. That'll show you. <laughs> and same thing with Kyle Schwarber. He's only 28 years old. So, and there's still some upside left. I mean, there's still intrigue in his left-handed power bat. And if he goes to an American League team, he doesn't have to play outfield a lot if ever, despite the fact that he does have a strong right-handed arm. Um, so, yeah, maybe there is hope for those two guys. Almora, I don't know. He's a decent outfielder defensively. Maybe he yeah, he is someone that I really want the Mets to be interested in because uh, the Mets, I feel like they need that right-handed bat. Oh, he's what, only 26, 27 years old still? So uh, if, if I'm the Mets, I'd be all over that. So there's so there's that. We got that going. And for some reason, I do apologize for the video feed uh, constantly cutting out. I don't know. I keep cutting out on the video feed. But uh, I, I, if you guys can listen to me, bear with me as uh, my computer has been acting wonky all morning long. So, yeah, that's the Cubs and the White Sox. And like you mentioned, it was mostly central division teams. But the other big name that kind of uh, popped up was David Dahl of the Colorado Rockies. Oh, yes. Uh, just like uh, like Almora, David Dahl is only 27 years old, still a, a former high level prospect for the Rockies. Uh, had all the upside in the world despite all the injuries. So kind of like Carlos Rodon, right? All the injuries has a spleen removed just so he could play last year and increasing his chances of getting COVID or or getting long-term negative effects because of COVID. And the Rockets is like, yeah, you're, uh, we, we can't afford you anymore. Go away. And that's just mind-boggling to me. But there's another guy who's kind of intriguing. If he is able to stay healthy and puts a decent season together, David Dahl might be a sneaky signing well, uh, do, do you have any high hopes for David Dahl there I do and I think he is going to latch on somewhere uh probably still in the National League I would bet something uh, I'm thinking of teams that need uh outfield help in the National League the the St. Louis Cardinals uh would be one and when I saw that he got non-centered I actually went and I, I checked out his baseball savant page I don't think I'd ever looked at it before and He's another – tell me if you've heard the story before. He's a Rockies hitter who hits better at home than he does on the road. But <laughs> when you go and you actually look at his splits, you would think, oh, um, his batted ball data is roughly the same. Um, he just takes advantage of the thinner air. But it's actually – when he goes on the road, his batted ball data just tanks. And he hits the ball less or not as hard. He doesn't lift it as well. And but overall, you look at his stuff when he's at home, he he hits the ball hard. Uh, so it's one of those. He has the potential to be someone who posts um, above average exit velos, above average hard hit rates. And anytime you can do that, regardless of whether you're playing 
uh, in Colorado or you're playing in Boston, uh, another team that could use David Dahl. Um, that there's potential to, you know, step out of that mold or the mold of this guy can't hit outside of course field, which if you look at his splits, you would say that he can't hit outside course field, but I still think there's time or hope for David Dahl. Um, he was a guy the Mets were very interested in, I think in the 2012 draft, um, but he got picked two picks before them. So it'll be interesting to see where he ends up. I still think he has a lot of promise as well. Yeah. So hopefully uh, he does get picked up. I, I like him a lot. I mean, if he's healthy, yeah, then I'm on I'm on board the David Dahl. I mean, I, to me, he's just an all-around good player. Uh, can play defense, can run, can hit. Uh, a, a fantasy darling for the last few years or so, and just he can't stay healthy. So yeah. And then the Rockies also are just they just mismanage the hell out of things over there, and I don't know what the hell they're doing. But let's uh, let's take a look at other players. Like uh, let's I don't know how do you want to do? This? You want to go from top to bottom on the Fangraphs list, or you want to, or is there another player in particular you want to take a look at? Uh, the, I'm trying to think, uh, we hit Schwarber and, um, oh, Eddie Rosario. Uh, oh, he, he's, he's probably the next big one. Oh my gosh. I'm not sure about you and how your, uh, teams fans have heard about the, the release of Eddie Rosario and, and really the fantasy community in general, you know, Eddie Rosario has been a very underrated fantasy asset, especially in, you know, the standard five by five categories or roto leagues because he's high batting average, lots of home runs, which means lots of runs and lots of RBIs. But in the actual uh, real real life baseball, he's very low OBP, terribly defensive, one of the worst (laughs) defenders in baseball. And it's basically solid batting average, okay pop, but barely has an on-base over 300. And that is production that you can really replace. I, I know it sounds crazy to say you can replace 270 and 30 home runs, but <laughs> you can. And everyone said that this was the owners crying poor. And I'm sure the nine and a half million that he was owed played a small factor in it with the twins. But if you also look at their uh, roster currently constructed right now, two of their top hitting prospects our corner outfielders and Alex Kirilov and Trevor Larnick. Eddie Rosario is completely expendable. They yeah. can get the same production, if not better production from those two prospects for a, a fifth of the price. So, or a 20th of the price. So might as well. Uh, yeah. But Eddie Rosario for, you know, a lower team that needs cheap offense. I could see him going there and hitting really well, but he's one of those guys who, his market probably elevates if they do finally make a decision on the DH because Eddie Rosario is absolutely horrid on defense. I want to say he, over the last three years, he was something like minus 24 outs above average, uh, which is baseball savants, you know, defensive metric. I mean, it was, it's, it's not good. It's very, very bad. <laughs> wow. I, I did not realize it was that bad. Um, I know, well, I can't, I don't have access to it right now. So maybe I won't say anything, but uh, the thing about Eddie Rosario though, is for me, it's like, he is like, he's just like a, a culmination of two other players. And those other two players kind of escaped my mind. But I think we talked about on this podcast that I think Eddie Rosario and these other two other players are basically the same player. Oh, Eddie. Uh, shoot. Yeah. I can't think right now. Eduardo Escobar. Uh, Eddie, I know I used to always confuse those two. 
Eduardo Escobar, yes, thank you. That's one. And I forgot who the third player, but I, th I think they're all connected to the twins somehow so, as well. So I am actually don't care that Eddie Rosario is not going to be on the twins next year because I, 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 I never target him anyway. So um, let's see. Where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Yeah, okay, uh, so ju just ahead. to uh, correct myself, uh, well, not really correct, but clarify. In 2019, Eddie Rosario in one single season had a minus 18 else above average which is like i think the highest or the lowest high i've ever seen um and then he was minus one in 2020 he is just um very bad <laughs> and, and even his batting average you know this year he was a uh let me look it up he batted 250 or 276 and 19 and 257 in 2020 but his expected batting average those two years were um or it was 244 this year. So even for a guy who does usually hit for a higher batting average, the metrics do not like him all that much. Shoof, boy. Um, let's see here. I'm trying to put a sunny disposition for our guy here, Eddie Rosario. So let's see if I can find anything. Uh, let's see. He has a career plus four DRS. I know that DRS is no longer the defensive metric that it used to be, but, you know, it's a different way of looking at defense. And at UZR, uh, he's at 8.1. Now I'm trying to figure out. Yeah, okay, so outfield. All right, let's just look at, the, at his outfield numbers, right? Uh, last year, he was at plus three for the Twins. Short season. I, I understand that, but still, plus three. And at 1.2 for UZR. So, it, yeah, I know that the, the, the stat you use, outs above average, is the new one. That, the, that's the... Uh, the more accurate one, but there, there is all hope is not lost is what I'm saying. But, but even his defensive war over since 2016, minus two, uh, 2.2, minus 6.4, minus 3.7, minus 11.7, and minus 1.5, which is why for someone who's been a 30 home run, 100 RBI threat in essentially four straight years, he's never posted a war higher than three and a half. The other thing I, I've said about that is that they, war does penalize, and they don't penalize as much as first base, but they do penalize corner outfield, especially yeah. in comparison to center field. So we'll give them. So we have to be mindful of that. Uh, but like I said, you know, it is a short season last year. So maybe if it would have been a full season, it, he would have been exposed, right? He yeah. would have been exposed with the uh, with the longer season, and his defensive metrics might have gone back. When I say defensive metrics, I mean the ultimate zone rating and yeah. the defensive run save. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, he's posted a nine for the Twins before and just the outfield, but he's also posted negative 11 in DRS yeah. and negative eight in 2019. But, you know, there are times where he does do the, what do you call it? The adequate outfield for the Twinkies. So, I, I don't know. Maybe not all is lost, and maybe just the defensive thing was just a a crutch for the Twins to say, "Oh yeah, he's no good anymore." Whatever. We we the guys like him are a dime a dozen out there. Hey, but he did post the highest walk rate of his career in 2020. He what went time? from he went up to 8.2. Oh, okay. Oh, he had never posted right. higher than 5.9. <laughs> but I also want to like just say this, just so if there's any traditionalists out there, I can make your head explode with ang rage and anger. But in 2019, he had 32 home runs, 91 runs, and 109 RBIs. So 200 plus or 200 runs plus RBIs, and um, 
his weighted runs created plus was 103. So he was only 3% above league average, even though he had 30 home runs and 200 combined runs plus RBIs. So he wasn't even that good. Our guy Melvin, who was here last week, just said that Rosario was basically Jose Canseco in right field. So what, he's also on steroids? So that means he's going to make the Hall of Fame now or what? He better get some steroids in his glove or on his head so the ball can bounce off it like Canseco's. <laughs> Moving on to uh, – let's see, I'm just trying to go up and down the list. Let's, you know, I think we're going to start at the, start at the top of the list. And that, unfortunately, we'll have to start with Adam Duvall. I'm not going to go through all the players. That's just the players that I think are worth mentioning. But Adam Duvall uh, kind of became um, an important bat for the Braves last year. You, you would say so, right? Yeah. He, he had that really hot streak in Boston. He hit like, oh, God, I think it was like four home runs, five home runs in like two games or something like that. Okay. I don't remember, but uh, Duvall. It was at, it was at Fenway. If I remember Powerful. correctly. Oh, wow. Powerful right hand. Hey, hey, if he goes to Fenway, man, that's a, that's a hell of a fit for him. But they are, they're pretty stacked in the outfield right now. And uh, DH with uh, GD Martinez, I think. But Adam Duvall, um, powerful right handed. Uh, is he 32 years old? Do you, you, you don't see him as an everyday player, do you? No. Uh, he used to be someone who was very good defensively, and he's really kind of slipped there yeah. as of late. And he's really just kind of one of those lifted and launch it kind of guys uh, never really going to hit for that high of an average um the last two years his expected batting average has been 199 and 227 so he's just really one of those all power uh high strikeout rate guys low walk rate um maybe good coming off the bench if you feel like you need a pinch hit home run uh, but yes i was correct um in, within a seven-day period, Adam Duvall had two, three home run games, one against Boston and one against Miami. So um, in those two ga- games, he combined for six home runs and 14 RBIs. Uh, so, yeah, powerful bat, like I mentioned, uh, but probably going to be a right-handed platoon hitter. So I I think there's there's a job for him in Major League Baseball, right? Yeah, I'm mean, as a, kind of a lefty bopper, possibly. Yeah. Uh, move on to uh, Hanser Alberto. I know you've mentioned this guy before on this podcast. Uh, he became non-tendered. Uh, obviously, you see some hope for Hanser Alberto still, right? Yeah, um, high batting average, doesn't walk at all. Um, I was kind of shocked that the Orioles did not tender him a contract. I thought that was kind of shocking. But um, – that's, I guess, what the Orioles do now. <laughs> I mean, imagine how bad he must feel. It's like, I don't even know who they're going to play at second base. They they traded Jose Iglesias. That was the big trade uh, yeah. since our last uh, show. Jose Iglesias to the Angels, so possibly already filling the hole that Andrews and Simmons will have. Yeah. But, um, well, granted, I yeah. don't think Iglesias will play short. I think he'll play second. I think Fletcher yeah. did a, such a good job at shortstop that they keep him there. Yeah, and I think the problem here is that uh, a lot of these teams are just non-tendering left and right just so they can avoid arbitration. Uh, and uh, Alberto also has no more uh, options oh. to the minor leagues as well. So, uh, so yeah, even though he's still 20, he's 28 years old for this upcoming season, the Orioles are like, yeah, first of all, you're too old, you're too rich, 
and we can find a cheaper replacement. Ah, uh, like you know who their cheaper replacement is? You'll know him. No, go ahead. Gilmer Sanchez. <laughs> he was claimed <laughs> off of waivers in October. That's Mr. that's the Alberto replacement right there. Mr. Ten Ten over there, Yolmer Sanchez. Play every hey, maybe he'll be fifteen fifteen in Baltimore. Yeah, I mean, there's a shorter, <laughs> shorter outfield, um, and the Orioles don't care. I mean, they let Jonathan Villar run wild, brothers. So why not? Why not Yolmer? Yolmer, jack of all trades, master of none. Uh, I don't want to talk too much about Ryan Tapera, but I also want to mention that Ryan Tapera, MVP voter, uh, vote getter, vote, vote recipient for the MVP, also non-tendered. And uh, like I said, when was the last time MLB did something that went off without a hitch? That vote was not <laughs> meant for Tapera. We can't even do Hall of Fame voting right online. <laughs> By the way, we do have a Hall of Fame uh, voting uh, web uh, poll. Episode. That, oh, well, episode. And uh, oh. Dan Butler also created a, our, our member, Dan, okay. created a, a Hall of Fame vote. It's in the announcements. So if you haven't voted yet, go vote uh, for the Baseball Life Hall of Fame for the upcoming 2021 Hall of Fame ceremonies. Who does Baseball Life select is what I'm trying to say here. All right. So we All I know is probably, Bobby Abreu better freaking make it. Probably not. Not, <laughs> not in our world and not in the real world. So unfortunately, that's not going to happen. Despite the fact that you, Melvin, and I, we made a hell of a case for him. Uh, we talked about Carlos Rodon. So Nomar Mazar for the White Sox. Uh, we we talked about Nomar Mazar, who's become sort of a – a, a, a recurring character and the total basis podcast uh, season one edition him and uh, we need to Kobe slide into his Instagram DMs and see if he wants to join the show for 10 minutes. Yeah. I mean, I could translate. I'm not <laughs> sure. I think he's what Caribbean, right? He's Caribbean. I think. Something, something. Yeah. So uh, I, I struggle with that Caribbean uh, accent. Uh, it's amazing that Melvin and I were able to interact with each other, despite him having a, a Puerto Rican accent. Right. But, but uh, no, getting back, Norman Mazar is a recurring character here on the Total Basis Podcast, along with Julio Rios and uh, a, a whole cast of characters who we're just, we seem to always talk about on a weekly basis. And Mazar, what we talked about before, he looks the part, he just doesn't produce the part. Uh, very powerful left-handed bat, only 26 years old. At this point, he's the opposite of Adam Duvall, he, uh, left-handed uh, platoon player as opposed to a right-handed platoon player. I'm pretty sure they'll, a, a team would be happy enough to take a flyer on him. Do you see the same thing on Mazzara there, Sean? No, and this guy was not non-tendered, uh, but you kind of, when you said you'd rather have this guy rather than Adam Duvall, uh, Hunter Renfro is another guy who kind of fits that mold, except he's a much better defender than both, I would say, and has probably a little bit more upside. He's slightly older than Nomar Mazzara, which feels weird to say, but um, Nomar Mazzara, I just feel like we we've run out of chances or run out of times that we've given him chances it's always it's always he's built he looks like the perfect baseball player he's he's got the face he's got the legs he's got the arms his girlfriend he's yeah he's got the fingernails like but then he goes up there he hits one 500 foot home run and everyone says oh god premier power threat here and then he hits proceeds to hit the next 25 balls on the ground so Hey, man, if, if, I don't get you. You have hope for Yandy Diaz, but you won't have hope for Nomar Mazar. Come on. Uh, Yandy Diaz also doesn't. Yeah, he, D, Yandy Diaz gets on base. Thank you very oh, much. That's a difference. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so that's Nomar Mazar. I think, I think a team desperate enough for a left-handed bat who could uh, play him part-time 
especially a designated hitter, I think they'll they'll be uh, suckered into signing him and believing in him. I still believe in him, but uh, as you can see, my hopes have waned down a little bit where I was hopeful that he would become an everyday right fielder. Now I'll be happy if he just becomes a platoon hitter. I mean, fudge, man. Matt Joyce was starting last year for the Marlins. So if, if Matt Joyce gets still relevant, Norman Mazzara can still be relevant. Except Matt Joyce got on base too. Okay. <laughs> All right, Moneyball. All right, moving on to the Reds. Uh, Archie Bradley, who apparently I, – I didn't realize a lot of people were up in arms about Archie Bradley. I didn't see anything uh, worth uh, keeping hopes up for Archie Bradley – do you see Archie Bradley as this uh, relief savior for any other team here? I don't think he's a relief savior. I think he would be a solid addition to a lot of bullpens. I, I think everyone's always tried to hype him up. Yeah. Because um, he had, I think, like one year or two years where he actually had like 30 saves or something like that. Yeah. Um, and he never really got back to it. And he was always this sleeper safe pick in fantasy drafts. Oh, he he's not playing for a great team, but he's the dedicated closer. Well, <laughs> you could be the dedicated closer and not get a lot of saves. You could be the dedicated closer on a bad team and get a lot of saves. We've seen that happen, but it just never worked out that way for Archie Bradley. Um, if he goes to a really good team and your league uh, counts holds, then maybe he's a target in fantasy. But uh, outside of that, kind of meh. He's a relief pitcher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, like I said, people, I mean, I know that the big deal was that he, the Reds acquired him last year in the trade, uh, in the uh, in the non waiver trade. Well, there is no more non waiver waiver trade. So he was acquired last year in the middle of the 2020 season. And he just gets let go just like that. So I, I don't think there's any anything like in terms of me to get excited about Archie Bradley. So it's fine. Uh, moving to Cleveland, they also dropped three players, uh, most notably Tyler Naquin and Delano the Shields. Uh, Delano the Shields, who is supposed to be a speed demon on the base pads, but I mean, is, is his speed waning to the fact that, to the point where Cleveland's like, nah, you're too slow for us now. Is that what you've seen over there? Or do you see differently? Bradley Zimmer lives to fight on another day. Yeah, that's and true. Cleveland has been waiting for Zimmer. That was Zimmer and Naquin and Lonnie Chisinau. I remember that was like they were the three outfielders for Cleveland, and then Zimmer got hurt, and then Naquin got hurt, and then Zimmer got hurt, and then Naquin got hurt. And yep. now we find Cleveland finds itself in the same position it was five years ago in which they had no outfielders. Um, that's, that's every year, though. Even with these guys around, every year I look at Cleveland's outfield, like where are the outfield? Hell, I mean, I, I, I'll say this to the day I die. 2016, Cleveland had that World Series in the bag. Remember, they were up 3-1. Yep. And, and you know, all you had to do was just wait for us to get back to Cleveland. And every ball that was hit in the air, you could tell that all three outfielders were kind of clueless as to who got where or who got to that ball or or, or run a direct route towards the ball. I mean, you mentioned Lonnie Chisenhall. Uh, he couldn't cut it as a third baseman, was converted to right field where he continued to muff balls out there. Tyler Naquin was supposed to also be this uh, godsend. And like you said, he always got hurt, but he was also awful in the, in center field. Just, all right. Well, if you're going to put Tyler Naquin in center field, Cubs are just going to hit the ball to center field, and he's going to be completely lost. He can find the ball with a roadmap. And oh, that really was that really was the difference, was the Cubs were able to come back because they, Cleveland didn't have a good outfield defensively or offensively. And then Delano the Shields also gets let go. Uh, like I said, like you mentioned, maybe, maybe this is our hope for Brad Zimmer to uh, – come up and the shields 
to go away. They're basically the same player at this point. But yeah, uh, so obviously you, well, uh, okay, let's start with Naquin, who seems to have a little bit of upside, even though he's 30 years old. Do you see any hope for Taylor Naquin to redeem his career at this point? No? Okay. You're shaking your head no. He's a fifth outfielder somewhere. I mean, maybe he could sit on, fit on a roster somewhere. Also, before we move on too far past it, I would like to give everyone a random Matt Joyce fact that since 2012, it with a minimum of 3,000 plate appearances, he is ninth in walk percentage ahead of guys like Josh Donaldson, Edwin Encarnacion, and Shinsu Chu, three guys who walked a lot in their career. So that's your Matt Joyce fact of the day. Top 10 in walk percentage. I thought you were going to tell me all the Toronto Blue Jays uh, lineup from that era. (laughs) Like Jose Batista, Russell Uh, Martin. I don't think Batista, is he on? No, Jose Batista's fifth on that list. Matt Joyce was ninth. There you go. Told you. Who was number one? Who was number one since 2012? Highest walk rate. Uh, uh, Since 2012? Yeah. It's easy. Don't overthink it. Is it? I don't know. Uh, shoot. Uh, is it uh, Anthony Rizzo? I doubt it. Joey Votto. Oh, I did overthink it. He I has over- more walks than strikeouts since 2012. Damn. Hey, first base, right? First base from a central division. My, my heart was in the right. My brain was in the right mind. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, we talked about the Rockies. Uh, Royals also, like you mentioned, with the central division teams, also had a slew of um, – of uh, non-tender players, including uh, Forrest Griffin. I'm joking. His name is actually Foster Griffin. doesn't matter. I just wanted to say it because he sounds like the UFC fighter. Uh, but the big name here was Michael Franco, who was given a, a, a second chance of sorts to kind of redeem his untapped potential with the Royals. And at 28 years old, he sees himself on the outside looking in as he has been non-tendered. Uh, what do you think about Michael Franco? I don't care about Michael Franco. As long as he doesn't come back to the National League East. Because when he played for the Phillies, he absolutely slaughtered the Mets and then was a two hit, 200 hitter against everybody else. So I wish you all the luck in the world, Michael Franco. Just stay out of the NL East. Please, for the love of God. Hey, but he, he, was, he was a 1.3 war player in 2020. So sneaky, sneaky little guy right there. But what, what do you think went wrong for him, though? I mean, he came with so much upside and so much promise for the Phillies. And I think, well, I, I, I don't want to say things that I, I can't remember properly, but I could have sworn that he even signed a, a, one of those long-term deals uh, early on in his uh, career. I believe that was Odubel Herrera that signed that one. Oh, that was a mistake, too. It, it, it wasn't Franco. But, no, I, I think Franco was just called up too early. Um, he, I want to say he was like 20 or 21 when he made his f- debut and then – he had the really good first in 2015. He played 80 games, batted 280, 343, 497, which was a 129 weighted runs created plus. And the highest he's gotten since then was 106 in 2020. Um, three out of, or yeah, three out of his last five seasons were actually below league average hitting. So um, middling walk rate doesn't strike out a whole lot, but never really did a whole lot with the ball either. So. Moving on to the Angels, the one of the more popular teams in baseball life, um, it, it, they basically got rid of all the relievers, including the big names like Hansel Robles, Justin Anderson, Kenyon Middleton, uh, Matt Andresi, who's kind of a, a rubber arm there, of the Terry Mulholland type, can do both starting and relieving. 
But um, Hansel Robles is the big name here. He was uh, their de facto closer. Uh, I know you had a, some high hopes for him. Um, uh, when we would talk about him, you were you were basically the only guy who would defend him in baseball life. And even I bought in because I used them a couple years ago or the last couple years as one of my de facto closers in fantasy as well. But uh, with him now being untendered, uh, what are your expectations for Robles and the, uh, for the foreseeable future here? I think he hops on somewhere. Uh, he was really bad in 2020, but it was almost, I, I watched a couple of games. Uh, he struggled early. They took him out of the close or he dealt with some velocity issues and then he, he kind of got it back. And when he came back from the velocity issues, they didn't give him the closers roll back. And I swear to God, it looked like this. He didn't want to be out there unless he was closing the game. And they put him out there in the seventh inning and he was averaging like 95 up until that point. And he started pumping like 89 mile an hour batting practice fastballs. And everyone was like, is he hurt? And he wasn't hurt. I just don't think he gave a damn, but uh, he, I don't know. I, I used to have high hopes for him. And now they're just hopes. <laughs> well, um, I, I, you know, for me, I, I got to see it to believe it. I, I want to see where he lands, where he goes. Opportunity is always the big factor here. But yeah, there, it's just he left a lot to be desired. And if you're telling me it was because uh, he wasn't the full time closer, maybe maybe that, that that messes people up. I mean, we talked about it in basketball uh, during the draft with uh, Jacob and Leon, how. Uh, some collegiate players were being questioned for their motor and for their want to and their and their hustle. And it could just be a simple like, well, I'm not in the role that I want to be in right now. Or in terms of these basketball prospects, I am not uh, I'm saving my body for the NBA. I don't want to get injured in the NCAA. So maybe it's one of those things. So we'll see. I mean, he's only 30 years old. We talked about it all the time. Pitchers seem to uh, age a little bit more gracefully than other positions. So we'll see. Hansel Robles, he's definitely on my radar. I just don't have too much yeah. high hope. And it's kind of – it was a weird season. He posted the highest K per nine of his career so far at 10.8. It, it was only 16 innings, so, you know, grain of salt. But then he walked over five per nine and then even gave up more home runs than he did as a Met in 2018 at the beginning of the year. He had a, a home run per nine over two, a, a 3.33 BABIP, which was oh, 30 points higher than his – other career high. So he had a lot of almost the things that you look at and say, bad luck happened, you know, high BABIP, high home run to fly ball rate. But at the same time, he didn't do himself any favors with all the walks. So yeah. uh, really quick, special shout out. Uh, Jacob uh, is on board. Uh, I just mentioned a step back. He is listening. So thank you, Jacob, for joining in. Melvin is also uh, in tuning in who was on the episode last, uh, uh, the hall of fame episode. We did take a week off last week for the holiday but more, the one guy i wanted to mention was Corey, who does the work shoot podcast the wrestling podcast that not uh, affiliated with the life group podcast but still a friend of the show he was one of our guests a long time ago he's a cleveland uh i know he's a cleveland browns fan i forgot which team he roots for i think he's also cleveland indians he can correct me but he's like you guys are back together again like we've been back brother where you've been we've been back uh since uh what would you say maybe july Late July, Sean? That yeah, been, late uh, July. Uh, maybe actually even before that, maybe like mid-July. Yeah, you know, it just took me a couple of months to figure out this whole baby thing. But yeah, man, we're, I mean, you if you if you listen too very carefully to this podcast, you can probably hear her screaming bloody murder upstairs. So <laughs> yeah, man, we're doing our thing. We're back. So, um, and uh, be sure to check out his wrestling podcast as well, the Workshoot podcast. 
uh, full of uh, chock full of information. He doesn't just do WWE stuff. He does all wrestling. So that's the one thing I like about his program. Moving on to the Marlins, who were, oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, they got a couple of intriguing guys, Ryan, Ryan Stanek and Jose Ureña. Um, who do you want to talk about first there? Uh, Ryan Stanek. Go ahead. Uh, I think he's actually a really good relief pitcher. He was in yeah. Tampa. And the Yankees sign him? I, I don't know. That seems like a random, like, the Yankees sign him to try and get the race secrets out of him, I guess. <laughs> it's, the, it's the only possible solution. Uh, uh, yeah, the only possible scenario that where he can. But, yeah, I, I like him, too. I, I had high hopes for him, uh, whether it was last this up uh, this completed season or maybe even 2019 where I thought he was going to close, and yeah. he didn't. So, again, just like Robles, some guy on my radar, but I'd like to see where he lands first before I get excited. Uh, okay, so Jose Ureña, same thing. I know he had some uh, injury issues. I forgot which injury uh, issues there were, but uh, there's another guy who, who used to throw hard and was more of a ground ball pitcher than anything, but... I think uh, the injuries have piled up on him. Uh, any hopes for Ureña? No. And Jacob in the comments is saying, you know, uh, the, the Mets need to go after Ureña or Jose Ureña. That's how you say it. I, I, he has the tilde. And yeah. um, I, I don't see the allure. Uh, he's always someone that has thrown really hard, but it's always been more of, you know, like you said, two seam sinker, pitch to contact type guy. Um, really what's been his most impressive moment in the last two years when he purposely hit Acuna on the back for hitting too many home runs. Like, <laughs> I, I get why some teams would want to go after Urania, but it's I, – I, I don't really see it. I always thought he was overhyped to begin with. He just threw really hard. Um, but we'll see. He, he's going to latch on somewhere, probably like the Angels, because the Angels like trying all these former retreads. You yeah. know, good fit. Oh, all former National League East retreads. They'll probably give Urania like a one-year, ten million dollar deal, just like they did uh, Matt Harvey and Julio Tehran. Those worked out great, didn't they? And Dylan Bundy too. Why not? Hey, Dylan Bundy did work out. <laughs> it did, it did. I, I was, that's what I mean. Maybe yeah. for every five, one of them. So, so they have a twenty percent success rate. Uh, let's do a lightning round because I know we're running out of time here. Uh, for the Brewers, the only guy I like uh, that's intriguing to me is uh, because I, I, I used to uh, cover him back in the day, Jace Peterson, who was a, a, a scrappy contact uh, pitch. Uh, sorry, not pitch. A contact, high contact rate hitter with some speed. Uh, he's non-tendered as well. Jace Peterson, any hope for his uh, future endeavors in Major League Baseball? He's been around for a long time. And now that you mention him, I never realized how high his walk rate was actually since like 2016. And he had 61 plate appearances in 2020 for the Milwaukee Brewers. And he walked in almost 25% of those at-bats. He struck out in over a third of them, though. So, you know, tomato, tomato. (laughs) No, that's the shocking part, because he was always that high contact, low strikeout, high walk rate kind of guy. And there's a reason why he's non-tendered. I mean, Ben Gamble's the other highly touted prospect here. And uh, I don't know, uh, any quick thoughts on Ben Gamble? Uh, I remember he hit that one walk off for the Brewers and a lot of mm-hmm. Brewers fans liked it. That's about all I ever, and he has the long flowy hair and he played in Seattle. Wait, is that the, uh, am I mistaking him for somebody else? Is he the guy who uh, hit the game winning hit for the Rays as well this past uh, uh, playoff series? No, 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 no. That was Brett Phillips. Oh, Brett Phillips, Ben Gamble. They're all the same guys. <laughs> <laughs> long like, flowy hair and fast. 
Eddie, just like Eddie Rosario and Eduardo Escobar, as I struggled to come up with their names earlier today. Uh, your Mets, uh, let's talk about Nick Tropiano, who's the one player I kind of recognize here, a former, former angel. So, yeah, you, 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 you he, never, he, he never pitched for the Mets. They had picked him off, off waivers and then immediately non tendered him. <laughs> but, but I do remember when they did acquire him, uh, he was in Pittsburgh last year, I believe. And, um, let me double check myself. Yes, he was in Pittsburgh. He posted a K per nine of almost 11, a 2.3 walk per nine, and had a 1.1 ERA and a, a FIP of two and a half. Oh. And he did this by throwing more splitters and more sliders and less fastballs. So this is somebody who will probably get a minor league deal with an invite to spring training. And he obviously got a little bit lucky at a, a 96.6 strand rate, but – and only a 5% home run to fly ball ratio. But for if you start throwing more sliders and splitters, if those are your two best pitches, um, you're going to probably have more success. Um, we, we've seen a lot of starters do it. Dylan Bundy, um, even if Tropiano isn't going to be a starter anymore, those skills can still translate to the bullpen. Uh, really quick, one word. On, give me a, a word association thing here with Chase and Shreve, who's also listed as a non-tender player here for the Mets. Another splitter guy. Uh, he is a guy that Mets fans went bonkers over because the Mets tendered Steven Matz, but not Chase and Shreve. And Chase and Shreve had a, a very good year for the Mets in 2020. Uh, it was a um, very non-talked about pickup when the Mets acquired him. And it was kind of shocking even to me that they didn't non-tender Shreve because they also lost Justin Wilson, um, he was now a free agent. So the Mets really have, they only have one left-handed reliever on their 40 man roster right now. And Shreve still had one year of control, uh, which is why he was able to be non-tendered. Um, but he started throwing his splitter more. He's always been a guy with been with reverse splits, which might make sense why the Mets got rid of him. Um, because they want a more probably traditional lefty that can get lefties out too. So, uh, we'll see. Moving across town, the New York Yankees, Jonathan Holder is no longer with the team. Um, I know that he also came in with some, you know, decent 2019 year, but uh, do you have any issues with Jonathan Holder kind of rebounding with somebody else next season? I feel like a lot of Yankees fans are going to be happy because I remember Yankees fans used to complain a lot when Jonathan Holder came in the games. Yeah. uh, I'm trying to remember something positive, but maybe I'm, confusing with him with somebody else but i know i mean he does have a high swinging rate against so i mean he was able to induce a lot of swings but and a 10 percent above swinging strike percentage but regardless uh maybe maybe some team will take a flyer on him I, he's only 20 years old so uh the giants they have a, a whole mess of uh, non-tender but we're not going to deal with all of them tyler anderson i don't want to talk about him too much but he's probably the big name that everybody recognizes uh as he could not take advantage of the bigger ballpark the one player i want to talk about here is daniel robertson who's only 27 years old and remember a couple years ago he kind of uh came into the forefront with the tampa bay rays as this high on base guy who could play multiple positions and we've seen him kind of decline i mean we talked about it on this yeah so we've talked about him before yeah uh so i don't know do you see him any of these teams being interested in in a guy like daniel robertson who oh he's probably another one of those guys gets a minor league deal yeah. Uh, due to his positional versatility, maybe he goes to like the Toronto Blue Jays. I mean, kind of uh, taking the role of uh, Brandon Jury, maybe. I think Jury got is a free agent or something like that. But uh, I, I've, we've always liked his skill set, you know, the high walks, uh, yep. positional versatility. Um, 
I didn't realize he was only 20. He's yeah, he's 26. So uh, he'll be 26, 27 through a season. Um, that's still really young. So uh, now that I know his actual age, I do have some hope for Daniel Robertson, which feels weird to say. I mean, that's why I brought him up. I mean, I'm kind of shocked that, I mean, and, and, but playing in San Francisco is not going to do wonders for your hitting anyway. So, no. so yeah, maybe he'll go back to the AL East or NL East or one of those other smaller uh, ballparks, uh, divisional ballparks, I should say. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of rushing here because I know we're running out of time. John Brevy of the St. Louis Cardinals, formerly of the St. Louis Cardinals, I should say. Uh, that's a that's another name I kind of recognize. Uh, uh, reliever for them, was able to post uh, back-to-back years of uh, 10 or higher K per nine. Did not pitch last year. Um, what can you tell me about him? Uh, Brebbia, I didn't even know that he didn't pitch in 2020. I just know that he actually had a lot of success between 2017 and 2019. He threw at least 50 innings every single year, never had an ERA over three and a half. Uh, so uh, a bit of an interesting decision there. But like you, like we said earlier, a central team, non-tendering guy about to enter arbitration. So yeah, and I, that's really what it boils down to. I mean, look at this. I'm, well, you can't see it, but I'm looking at him. Another guy who induced a lot of swinging percentages, high swinging percentages, uh, low contact guy, and swinging strike rates above 12.3% and 132 yeah. in 2019, despite the fact that his velocity went down that year. So uh, so maybe he I, – I don't know what his deal was in 2020. I don't know if it, had, it was COVID-related or if it was an arm issue, but we have to uh, investigate that a little bit further. Uh, Danny Santana. Remember Danny Santana? He's available if you still believe in his 20, what, 18? I never believed in it to begin with. Yeah, too high strikeout rate. But, uh, hey, he's versatile. Uh, and when he hits the ball, uh, I don't know. He, he was great value brand Jonathan VR two years ago. Come on now. <laughs> uh, and then finally, uh, I don't know, there's AJ Cole here who used to be a highly – uh, touted prospect for the Nationals. Correct me if I'm wrong there, Sean. I thought he was with the Nationals a long time ago. Uh, top five prospect, I think, at one point, maybe. Correct me if I'm wrong. But the big name here is Travis Shaw, uh, who has become expendable because the Blue Jays continue to uh, bring up all, all of these former Major League Baseball players' sons to be in the infield. So there's no room for a Travis Shaw. Do you have room for Travis Shaw anywhere in Major League Baseball next year? The Colorado Rockies. Yeah. Oh, that'd be perfect. That is the ultimate Colorado Rockies signing right there. Somebody really just needs to hire me to be the Colorado Rockies GM. I think I could do a better job of it. You shown. I I would hire Eric cross from Ferrant, uh, from fan tracks to be my assistant GM. And we would just (laughs) put Garrett Hampson and Garrett Hampson would play center field. He would play shortstop. He'd play second base. We wouldn't even need Trevor story. He's going to play all the positions. Garrett Hampson is the best player on that team. I mean, imagine uh, this lineup, Ian Desmond, Daniel Murphy, Travis Shaw in the Rockies infield. I mean, that's Dante Bichette and Vinny Castillo all over again, isn't it? How many errors in one game can they get? Uh, throwing errors, you mean, right? Yeah, I don't think <laughs> every, every sort of error. Well, not, not with that range, no way. <laughs> now, Ian Desmond and Daniel Murphy getting to a, a, a ground ball that – our elite infielder would be able to get no problem with these guys. They might, they might injure their hips <laughs> and their lips. They, ha- they have hips left. Hip- <laughs> <laughs> hips to the left, hips to the right. Okay. Their hips don't lie. <laughs> oh, on to nine. Okay. So that's enough. And there it is. Those are the list of uh, some non-tender players that we kind of found mm. intriguing. Uh, it was a very heartfelt uh, episode for mm. me. As like I said, we lost a lot of guys from my, uh, from the last decade that I had high, high hopes for on my uh, 
both of my favorite baseball teams, the Cubs and the White Sox. So, uh, I mean, Albert Amora, Kyle Schroeder, Carlos Rodon, and even Nomar Mazzara to a lesser extent, who I still have hopes for, even though Sean and probably the rest of Major League Baseball do not have high hopes for anymore. But there it is. You're, you're listening on Tether. Uh, so the lesson here, Sean, if I may, to just put it in a nice little bow and summarize, is if you're on this list, you're more than likely uh, hoping to get a non-roster invitee and even maybe maybe even a minor league deal. Would you agree with that assessment? Yeah. Okay, there you go. So, so that's the show. Uh, we're uh, we'll we'll see what happens in these winter meetings. Uh, we're not. I, I'm not having any high hopes, but maybe uh, it seems like Sean thinks differently a little bit here. With if anything, uh, the Zoom meetings will be entertaining and to see what gets leaked and what doesn't get leaked. But uh, and and also we have other podcasts. Dong City, I believe they're. Uh, they're they're on next week i think uh i think that's their week to be on next week or no, on monday i should say so listen to henry and vince uh give their own spin on these winter meetings uh tuesday and friday is the audible as uh, matt and randy uh review and preview the nfl week season uh the step back i think they're back on this week as well as they are getting ready for the upcoming basketball season, the NBA season. It's, it's just around the corner, Sean. If you didn't know, they wanted to start it on Christmas, so they're going to get it their way. And, of course, our podcast every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern, right here on Facebook, Baseball Life, the greatest, the greatest baseball uh, group on Facebook. Every Sunday morning, <laughs> we kick off your podcast week. So for uh, I am Felipe, for Sean. We wish everybody a good day. Enjoy your football, and we'll see you next weekend.